Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Hungry Ghost episode two. Um, we're going to be talking about urban legends mm. today. Urban food. Urban food and drink yeah, legends. legends. Uh, I feel like um, uh, back way back when we wanted first we're talking about doing this podcast. I think like urban legends were like wanted, we're going to be a part of it in some mm. way, but. We also wanted to do a food podcast, so we were, but we we've always been very into like myth weird, making, myth making, spooky stories, spooky stories, and the weird and wonderful. Yeah, so um, we thought we'd have to do an, ep- an episode about urban legends, which relate specifically to food, mm. of which it turns out there are a lot. <laughs> yes. So, um, why do you think that is? Well, I suppose it's it's like with all food culture things, isn't it? It's like it's a massive part of everyone's life, mm. and so we. It's human nature to make create stories around things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, also kids. I get we get later on into the role that like um, kids just making up stories mm. plays, which is big with a lot Huge. of these things. But um, a lot of these, like our own knowledge of it, originates when we're at school. Yeah, everyone knows about. You know, if you swallow chewing gum, it wrap around your rib cage, yep. and it takes Stays seven years. Of, that was what we always yeah. told. Seven years to get out of your system, which is a a whole schooling. <laughs> yes, <but> best avoided. <laughs> um, and what are the other ones? If you eat uh, the core of an apple with the pips in it, then you'll grow an apple, apple tree, tree inside. inside you. Carrots make you see in the dark. Carrots is another make classic. You see in the dark. Um, is that? But that's one which is turns out to. Kind of be true. I think not? I think a bit true in the if you eat any amounts of vitamins, it helps your eyesight, right. but not particularly carrots. <laughs> not carrots <laughs> yeah, not specifically. Yeah. yeah, I think the pips one is interesting because it's like uh, obviously it's bollocks that if you mm. eat something, it that will grow inside you because it would just get destroyed in your, your stomach, stomach acid. Yep. There's no light in there no. to like, grow. <laughs> um, synthesized from your stomach. Or, I mean, obviously things grow underground without light, but like it's just not, not the right environment mm. to Fruit, um, apple growth. germinate a seed. Yeah. Um, but then there's also kind of like a kind of logic involved in it, which is maybe with parents having kids whatever, like don't eat that because lots of seeds and pips do contain cyanide, I believe. Yes. Which is yeah. poisonous, obviously, uh, in high quantities. But yeah, um, also Coca-Cola containing cocaine, mm. which was turned, is kind of true. Isn't yeah, it? formerly, like when it was the, the original recipe, Coca-Cola contained cocaine. Yeah. Um, but I think not for long. John Pemberton. John Pemberton of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but only for you know a couple of years max, if at best, and yeah. health and safety regulations caught up with him and... The yeah. modern world and science caught up with him, and he stopped having to. Life uh, comes at you fast. Include it, but, but certainly no no Coca Cola has been drunk drinks. by anyone alive today has ever contained no cocaine coming from the manufacturer at least. Yeah. Speaking of Coke, Coca Cola, that is mm. um, the one of the OG ones, which is not like it's not really an urban legend in terms of you can see. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Everyone's done it. We put mm. Mentos in Coke and it goes yes. mental. Yeah. Like volcanic eruption. But there's lots of literature online. And when I say literature, I mean Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> About people, you know, because the, the myth was if you have it, if you put Mentos in Coke, put your mouth over the top, yeah. and wait for it to like explode, yeah. uh, then 
what, that you die? Yeah, or, or, pe- or people have, because obviously you, you can see the effects quite clearly out of the body when you drop it in the bottle. And people have said that if you were to consume both of those things at once, it could kill you because it would explode in your stomach, yeah. basically. And uh, what you see coming out of a bottle would come out of your mouth and yeah. you'd die. Yeah. Um, but I've never certainly heard of a death related from that. No. Well, again, let me find this because I looked into it. Now, this is per Coca-Cola's own website, mm. Coca-Cola India, but Coca-Cola. Um, funnily enough, another one of their frequently asked questions is, does Coca-Cola contain cocaine? <laughs> um, and they say, oh, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's never contained cocaine. It used to. <laughs> um, this one says, can you die from eating Mentos and drinking Coca-Cola at the same time? No, this is an urban myth. It's true that putting Mentos into a bottle of Coca-Cola will cause an impressive fountain of soda to erupt from the bottle. Carbonated water, sparkling wine and other soft drinks have similar effects. However, you won't get the same effect from eating Mentos after drinking Coca-Cola. The eruption you get when you mix Mentos and Coca-Cola is caused by the rough coating of the candy, which results in lots of bubbles forming rapidly on the surface when it's placed in the mm. carbonated beverage. Notice they shift the blame, <laughs> the blame from Coca-Cola to... Yeah. Another company. Um, the coating begins to dissolve the moment you eat it, so you won't get the same reaction in your stomach. And I guess you'd chew it up. So you couldn't swallow a whole Mento, could you? Quite chunky. And you'd... If it's doable. It's doable, if, yeah. In the interest of science. It's doable. <laughs> um, now, the real people on the front line mm. are the people who are commenting on Quora <laughs> yes. questions. When people have said, what happens... <laughs> If you, if you consume them both at the same time. This guy's replied to him saying, I used to consume these both simultaneously. Actually, whenever I buy a Coke or Pepsi, I ask for a roll of Mentos from the seller. Whoa. And I also like to dig because I lo- yeah. <laughs> It's because I love to enjoy the icy minty burp that comes out of my mouth after <laughs> such consumption. It causes me no vomiting and no gastric problem. Apart from but, burping. <laughs> he had a disclaimer. It's a burping. He had a disclaimer. I'm not assuring you that the same result is forever. I've analysed that the quality of both Coke and Mentos have fallen down since my childhood. (laughs) There is no such acidic formula in Coke now. Also, the minty chewiness of Mentos has been reduced to a hardcore sweet candy. I don't know whether the same is the situation in other country markets, but here in India, in our local market, I've never got the same earlier pure form of Coke and Mentos I used to enjoy in my childhood. I believe that a combination of Mentos and Coke in their purest form, he finishes... (laughs) May cause dangerous consequences. <laughs> um, but he used to like the purest form and was yeah, fine from so it. So presumably, so he's sort of saying it's a humble brag that he used to be able to do it. He can handle but it. No one it's not else for the can casual handle it. Yeah, Coke Mentos. <laughs> Certainly not people who are used to today's less uh, pure. Yeah, Coca Cola and Mentos, in his opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, other people saying. Similar thing. This guy's saying, like, it's doable. You need to drink as much soda as possible. The worst you can expect is some, some light vomiting <laughs> and gas. Oh, some it's going to be gas. some serious gas, yeah. Um, but lots of people here corroborating that thing about it's all to do with the surface of the mm. Mento somehow. So yeah. maybe that is true. Um, Mentos have thousands of micropores, which add up to a lot of surface area. To which the water wets, releasing the dissolved CO2. Hmm. Could happen in the stomach. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway, 
I think you'd be fine if you if you. I think so. Yeah, I think it's been. It's, it's, and we won't be recreating it for science. No, it's not worth it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, another thing. Um, not so much a childhood urban legend, but something which I definitely have heard a lot uh, over the years is that cornflakes mm. were invented as a, uh, I guess you'd say, deterrent or a yes. cure for masturbation. Yes. Now, this is one of those ones which is like kind of true. Right. Um, in that what one of the owners of the Kellogg company, John Harvey Kellogg, this is, we're talking like mid-19th to mid-20th century mm. when he was alive. Um, and he was a religious fundamentalist, I think it's of course, to say. in America. In America. Um, and one of the things about uh, his church that he was a part of promoted vegetarianism as, as a means of healthy living. Mm-hmm. Probably quite ahead of its time, but not unusual nowadays, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, that in itself, obviously, but he seems to have taken that to its lot to its uh, not its logical conclusion, <laughs> illogical extension, all sorts of insane areas of life. So he would, despite having eight adopted children, mm. he uh, never supposedly consummated his marriage. Okay, um, and he thought that like sexual congress and all its forms. I mean, I think he kind of acknowledged the uh, importance of it. Right, <laughs> he was like. One of something but like 14 children. But it's a chore that should be avoided as much as possible yeah, kind of mentality. Wanted, wanted yeah. to leave it to, to everyone else. Yeah. Um, so uh, he felt that that was bad enough, mm. sex with someone else. Mm. But sex with yourself was mm. like just even... I think he called it the, he called it the double abomination. <laughs> I guess the single abomination being having sex, sex. with your wife. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so... Yeah, and he he promoted many things. He thought masturbation was just like completely terrible, mm. and he promoted many things as a cure, if you like, for masturbation. He he circumcised himself at oh, the age of thirty-seven. Jesus, and he thought that circumcision was, um, for some reason, some kind of deterrent to masturbation. Did did he see a connection between masturbation and, and health problems, mental health, and yeah, physical I think so. health? So he yeah, he was a doctor and he ran a sanatorium, right. And he thought that, um, I think sex of all kinds, but in particular masturbation, was injurious to your physical and mental <laughs> health. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, well, let's get, let's, he wrote a book called Plain Facts for Old and Young, Embracing the Natural History and Hygiene of Organic Life. Facts is doing some heavy lifting you, in well, that. <laughs> bear in mind, this is the guy who dedicated the last second half of his life to eugenics. <laughs> yeah. So his grasp of reality was probably not that... <laughs> Firm, but uh, Kellogg catalogued 39 different symptoms of a person plagued by masturbation, including general infirmity, defective development, mood swings, fickleness, bashfulness, boldness, mm. bashfulness and, and boldness. So you should be middle of the road. <laughs> Bad posture, stiff joints, fondness for spicy foods. Oh. Does anything sound, anything sound familiar so far? <laughs> Taking uh, a lot of boxes. Acne, palpitations and epilepsy. Um, and, yeah, he basically, among the many things that he felt kind of tempered uh, sexual desire, which is something he thought you should try and do, was he thought that eating rich foods, eating lots mm. of meat, for example, spicy foods, clearly, yeah. um, foods with any kind of flavour whatsoever, basically, uh, 
would kind of stir sexual desire. And so his one of his um, initiatives was to create bland foods. Mm. Um, and Kellogg, I mean, again, this is one of the things where the truth and the myth kind of separate a little bit because it is true that he he marketed cornflakes with the Kellogg company and he, because he had these insane views, people like to think this guy made cornflakes and it's mm. because of this. But he's actually seems to have been more his brother, Will right. Kellogg, who invented cornflakes, but he's part of the same company. And so right. he, and definitely John Harvey mm. Kellogg was involved in this thing of developing deliberately bland food, yeah. which cornflakes was, were a part of. Um, yeah, because he thought that um, eating them would stop you wanting to have sex or or masturbate. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember ever, like, eating cornflakes and then feeling particularly <laughs> horny afterwards. Well, then so it's worked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it works. The guy yeah. was onto something. But it's, it, presumably he was thinking of cornflakes in their purest form, a.k.a. without milk. Yeah. Dry <laughs> cornflakes, which he must and be horrified to know that Nowadays, they're they probably sugar. They're, they're, they contain a lot of sugar and probably emotionally consumed with quite a large amount of milk. Yeah, exactly. And back then, I think as well, they were quite different to the cornflakes we know today. Yes. Love, um, <laughs> in that they were very, very, yeah, they had no kind of additives. Mm. Uh, and um, people, I, I read something about like they were so brittle and sharp that people would cut their gums on them. Oh, my so, God. Well, that's enough to so like anyone off. Uh, For him, adds to the whole uh, self-flagellation element. Yeah, um, I don't know what was wrong with him. He came out <laughs> some sort of it was, it was yeah, or something. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff going on at that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, interestingly though, he actually had um, there was a precedent for that kind of thing, mm. which he was inspired by. Um, which you may have heard of um, an American thing called Graham crackers. Yes. Graham I guess we would cracker. call Graham crackers um, <laughs> in the civilised world. But, uh, yeah, they were invented by a guy um, who had very similar views, but this was, like, early. I think it was in, like, the 1830s or something. Mm. And his views caught on. There was a big cholera epidemic. And I suppose people, understandably, they were fixated on health and hygiene and things like that. And this guy... Graham, um, it kind of pioneered this thing of eating really bland food made out right, of wheat, crackers right. and stuff, uh, which is what, how the Graham cracker was born. Okay. And John Harvey Kellogg was a big disciple of this guy. And he wanted a corn version of yeah. the Graham cracker, Yeah, exactly, basically. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other things that he uh, endorsed as a means of um, curbing sexual desire, he suggested that boys or young men would thread silver wire through the foreskin to prevent erections. That sounds horrendous. And cause irritation. Uh, and for girls, he recommended an application of carbolic acid to the clitoris. Oh, Jesus. So basically genital mutilation yeah. was what he was yeah. um, proposing. So, yeah. All in all, an absolute mentalist. Yes. So, <laughs> um but yeah. Shall we have a drink? Yeah. What are we drinking this week? So this week, uh, in honour of the theme of the the episode, um, Urban Legends, I've brought along Gold Vassa. Um, now you may be familiar with Gold Schlager. 
Um, Full disclosure. <laughs> we were going to get Gorge. <laughs> yes. Uh, we left it too late because we're nothing if not professionals. And we didn't know where to get any. Um, and But as it turns out, Gold Vassar is probably even better for... Yes. For Gold Vassar is actually the original uh, Gold Schlager since 1598. And that's... Uh, that's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. Shakespeare was still knocking around. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth was on her deathbed. And in a little town called Danzig, now Gdansk, uh, uh-huh. formerly in Germany, now in Poland, uh, a young alchemist was making gold vassa. And the reason I bought it for, for this episode in terms of urban legends was that when I was growing up and when we were growing up, I always heard the legend that the gold flakes that are suspended in the liquid... Uh, the little shards of metal cut your throat when you're drinking it um, so that you get the alcohol into your system more quickly and you get drunk quicker. Yeah. Uh, not true. Um, <laughs> Unsurprisingly. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, gold true. is an incredibly soft metal, uh, which is why it's uh, used in so many applications around jewelry. It's an unreactive metal as well. Uh, and why you can make kind of really thin sheets of gold um, really easily, like... like gold leaf and gold flake that are in this drink but it's not certainly not strong enough to cut the back of your uh, your neck but there are some really interesting myths around it i'll pour let's say glass quite um, satisfying mm, pop well I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shake so we get mm. plenty of gold uh in there but yeah beyond the there we go uh, beyond the cutting the back of your throat, there are several other myths associated with gold schlager, uh, or gold vassa in this case. Um, the first being that when it was created in 1598, there was a huge amount of alchemy going on. Lots of people were mm. interested in how you could turn lead into gold in particular, and also uh, how you could create... Um, the elixir of life, which was sort of, you know, it could extend human life beyond the normal boundaries of time and aging and, and death. Um, and they thought that gold in a sort of vague and mysterious way might be a way to achieve that. So lots of people in, in the kind of late 1500s, early 1600s were producing drinks with gold in them right. um, with some sort of vague health claims and health benefits uh, for whatever reason, this was the one that caught on, um, Gold Vassa. It became incredibly popular across the all of Europe, really. The French court, uh, Peter the Great, 100 years later from Russia, Tsar of Russia, he absolutely loved Gold Vassa and had it imported from uh, Danzig to uh, St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. His uh, eventual successor, Catherine the Great, did the same in her court. So it really caught on, and I guess that's part of the reason it's survived hundreds of years uh, it's probably one of the oldest uh drinks brands that i'm aware of um to create what they bill themselves as a unique elixir 20 herbs and spices 22 carat gold 40 mm. percent abv should we give it a go i'm intrigued because normally with like a liqueur mm. it'd be weaker than 40%. it would be it would be around 20 percent. yeah this is um yeah, in the worst of both worlds. Worst of both worlds. Very nice, actually. It's <laughs> pleasant. Cinnamon definitely comes through. Taste it. But then they're very much warmth from the... Very much warmth. That'll be the 40% Yeah. How's the back of your neck feeling? 
It's good. It's warm. Yeah, intact. Yeah, it's actually yeah, pretty intact. It's funny, actually, because that gold leaf thing, like mm. I've never, obviously, I've had little things, little bits of gold leaf on mm. before. But when I was in Japan recently, we went to, in Kanazawa, which is famous for gold leaf production, we went to an ice cream shop where they literally, like, you get like a, the equivalent of like a Mr. Whippy. Mm. And it's covered the whole thing wow. with gold leaf on the outside. Um, so you have to, but you have to like, but it is bizarre texture, like because yeah. it just like folds it's and melts and crumbly straight away. Yeah. And it was interesting because I was e- even like a little bit apprehensive because I was thinking like, well, I mean, this is I know it's gold leaf, but this is still like metal. Mm. I don't know about yeah. so much. <laughs> thinking like, what is it, what is it gonna? But it's such an odd texture. But then it also, when you have that much of it, it does have it, it tastes metallic. Mm. Yeah. Um, which obviously you can't really taste but when it's no, so small. But it's just... But yeah, it's nice. It's nice. There's a couple of other myths associated with uh, the story of Goldwasser. Um, the, obviously, we've actually already told you the story of how it's made, which was by this uh, 16th century alchemist in, in Danzig. Um, so even though we know how it originated, actually the people of, of Danzig and then later Gdansk made their own stories about Goldwasser because it was such an important drink for them. Um, Gdansk is obviously on the Baltic Sea. It's a major port. Um, they have a very famous uh, statue of Neptune in one of the main squares. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, God of the Sea. Um, and there's two kind of conflicting stories about how he was uh, associated with the production of gold Vasa for the first time. So the first being um, that he was so sick and tired of the residents throwing coins into his fountain... Um, that he uh, struck his mighty trident and sent shrapnel everywhere, and inexplicably, the shrapnel ended up in all the vodkas of all the uh, denizens of Gdansk or Danzig. Um, yeah. And and since that day, uh, Goldwasser has replicated that story um, of him, yeah, angrily uh, sending the the metal into everyone's drink. Yeah. Conversely. He was so overjoyed with the coins that were being thrown right. into his fountain that he decided to reward the residents right. with turning all their water into wine. And so the wine, the water, well, sorry, all their water, uh, turning all their water into vodka. vodka right. um, bit of a water into wine maneuver. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Classic God um, behavior. Um, and then the vodka pouring into the fountain, which obviously had all the, the coins in that people had been throwing in. They then replicated that by creating gold wasser to commemorate uh, Neptune turning all their vodka, all their water into vodka. Nice. Um, neither of which I think are true. Probably not. No. But never let the truth. I like it. Yeah. I feel like it's dangerous stuff because of the sweetness and the cinnamon mm. etc yeah so with apologies in advance for this just degrading into uh, <laughs> dissipated rubbish especially with how quick it will get into our system oh because of the, the cuts <laughs> yeah. yeah one of the other um big areas around which um urban legends spring up to do with food is halloween mm, of course um because there's, there's the classic thing of i mean it, it's funny because Everyone, you know, the classic thing when you're a kid is don't take sweets from, don't take candy yeah, from a stranger. Yeah, it's the one day a year in which you're, encouraged you're to go taken with your parents to strangers' houses to collect uh, yeah, exactly. candy. Yeah, um, And, yeah, these 
the, these urban myths develops around Halloween whereby um, some of the candy or the sweets would be poisoned, some of them mm. would have like razor blades yeah. in them, needles in them, whatever. Drugs. Drugs. Mm. And um, obviously easy to just think, well, that would never happen. However, yes, has actually happened in some yeah. instances, which is horrific. Like um, in 1974, a kid, an eight-year-old boy um, called Timothy O'Brien died after eating trick-or-treat candy laced with cyanide. Jesus. And then within days, his father, this is, I'm reading this, by the way, from the Houston Chronicle. His father stood accused of state. Ronald Clark O'Brien stood accused of staging the crime as part of a life insurance scheme. Fucking hell! Um, his wife testified against him. He was convicted and sentenced to death. Died by lethal injection in 1984. I'm never quite sure why it takes so long in America. It's legal to process. Kill people. <laughs> but uh, he was dubbed the Candy Man by fellow prisoners and executed by Fucking lethal injection hell. in 1984. Maybe where the yeah is that before or after the Candy Man film? I think Franchise. the film was in the 80s. Wasn't yeah. it? So probably... probably a lot of crossover. Yeah. Um, the case horrified parents and helped usher in an era in which carefree costume trick-or-treating has given way to X-rayed candy bags and tightly controlled Halloween parties and festivals. And I've got to say, we grew up in the 90s. Mm. I never had any... Like, we used to go out on our own and yeah. do trick-or-treating. Absolutely fine. But I know nowadays, probably understandably, parents quite often go with their kids, don't they? Like, yeah. But then yeah. in this case, it wasn't... Halloween that killed poor Timothy. No, of course. It was so, his, his, in actual fact, it, it wasn't strangers. It, was, looking a bit closer <laughs> it wasn't strangers, it was his father yeah. who who said it was strangers and poisoned the candy he'd received from other people. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that's what... Um, which is horrendous. <laughs> there's been kind of people who've gone about trying to get to the truth of, of this and see mm. how many see how often the myths match up to reality and stuff, tend to say that where these things are true, it doesn't come from strangers putting mm. stuff in people's suites and stuff. It comes from... Normally, it's like it will be kids mm. either pulling a prank on their parents or... But it's interesting because they they do it as copycat crime. Not crime yeah. is a bit of a strong word, but they do it as a copycat thing because they've heard the myth. Yeah. Um. Which is kind of which a, shows the power of, thing of myths yeah, and, and working people's minds. But so this there's a guy called Joel Best who's a, a sociologist at the University of Delaware, mm. and um, he studied reports of tampering with candy from 1958 to 1983, and he said fewer than 90 instances would qualify as actual candy tampering, which is I mean still like quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Although he does, he says none of them. Are, count as random events, random attempts to harm children at Halloween. Most of them were attempts by adults to gain financial compensation, which is like, I mean, it kind of as grim as... Yeah, it's worse. Particularly, obviously, that yeah. guy murdering his own son for a life insurance scheme. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Best found five child deaths that were initially thought to be caused by homicidal strangers, but none was sustained by investigation. There was one, even earlier than that, uh, 1974 and in 1970 Kevin Toston a five year old boy from the Detroit area died after finding and eating his uncle's heroin and then this again is an interesting example of how the truth can be deliberately kind of twisted and then mm. that informs the mythology around yeah. it because 
so this kid tragically died and then the family attempted to protect the uncle by saying which was... i guess i mean what a fucked up situation because yeah obviously you should say like the uncle should keep his heroin out of the reach of children. That yeah. should be, <laughs> any should be, heroin that should be given <laughs> should be branded with the, keep out keep out of the reach of children. Yeah, but presumably he would have been mortified that this kid, poor kid, mm. ate it. Yeah, and it was and it, it was a genuine accident. But yeah, exactly. And the, and that's it, probably why the family didn't want to. So they attempted to protect the uncle by saying that the drug was had been sprinkled in the child's Halloween candy by somebody yeah. else, and so you can see how that would then have led to like other, other people thinking copycats like, oh, that could happen mm. this is the thing with these things is that it's like like with any kind of urban myth and stuff it's like mm. well if it's within the bounds of possibility because of course it could happen that someone could deliberately do that yeah so it doesn't seem insane to worry about it but then well it is kind of there's no point worrying about it but yeah yeah I was reading about one um, more recently uh, from 2018 of uh, a child, a 12-year-old child who suffered minor injuries after uh, attempting to ingest a needle that was in their their candy from Halloween. Wow. Again, it was in America, North Carolina. Like a sewing needle. Like a sewing needle. Um, and what was quite interesting about this one is they kind of... they they tracked the source back and it was actually in the candy and it comes back to this whole copycat thing because originally none of it, you know, those sorts of things weren't in the candy or were put in the candy by malicious people, but this was in put in the candy by a random person. That person happened to be another child, an 11 year old wow. child, an evil genius child, an evil genius child or a child who'd heard the myth and had kind of done just like acted on it or not probably Without knowing what he was doing yeah. well you thinking really what they were doing or what the consequences would be and that's the almost the power that myths can have over decades and generations yeah. is making someone do something or leading someone to do something that they might not otherwise do but just thinking that's part of or wanting to be part of that myth or yeah, yeah. bizarre there's a couple of examples which i really love Mm. Um, of real life examples not with tragic consequences <laughs> okay. I hate um, well first up quite a light hearted one in mm. 1959 California dentist William Shine gave candy coated laxative pills to trick or treaters which I think is just <laughs> it's just a good prank yeah it? yeah that's... Um, he was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful <laughs> dispensing of drugs <laughs> the second one yes I can agree with the I mean, first one I mean, yeah, they've got him on a second account yeah, got... <laughs> <laughs> it's helping people digest and you know nowadays I feel like public decency outrage of public decency is very like 1950s so mm, yeah I mean the, like giving someone a laxative is not an outrage to public decency because so in most cases they'll be feeling the effects of that in their own toilet and let's be honest, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they are innocent kids. Yeah. Um, and then this one I really find funny, but also is weird. But anyway. In 1964, a disgruntled Long Island, New York woman gave out packages of ined- inedible objects to children who she believed were too old to be trick-or-treating. <laughs> Absolutely love that. Um, which, that is funny, right? Yeah. But it does get slightly dark when you learn that the packages contained items such as steel wool. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. You, you could, you know, put that in your mouth. That's the sort of thing that could go in your mouth and actually do some damage. Yeah. 
Yeah. Dog biscuits, probably. No, yeah. That's what. That's more the level she should have been operating yeah. at. Yeah. Dog biscuits, yeah. laxative pills. Yeah. <laughs> um, fish food. Yeah, fish food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not going to kill you, is it? No. It's not going to cause you any damage. Um, so dog biscuits, fine. But then also ant buttons, which is like po- like ant poison. Okay, actual poison. Is but she says which were clearly labelled with the word poison. But I mean. Yeah, but I remember yeah, like toxic waste. Toxic waste. Yeah, exactly. And that was labeled waste. toxic waste, and I bloody loved that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, though nobody was injured, she was prosecuted and pleaded guilty to endangering children, which I think is fair enough. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. again, it, it, example of how these things like seep into the world of myth, which then has an effect in the in the real world. Um, the same year, saw media reports of lye filled as in like lime, like quick mm, lime. Yeah. Filled bubble gum being handed out in Detroit and rat poison being given in Philadelphia, although these media reports were never substantiated to be actual events. Um, but then, with the, again, like a bit close to home, because all these things are like in the past, sort of thing. Um, but in 2022, police in Eugene, Oregon said they were investigating three credible reports of razor blades that were found inside Halloween candy. Oh my god. Police reported that the discovered razor blade was about an inch long. And was similar to a blade in a manual pencil sharpener. Inserted through, inside the wrappers through small slits. Inside two Kit Kat bars and an Almond Joy bar. Terrible. That's horrendous. That's, so it can happen. Yeah, it can well, that, And that's the thing. is, It's the myths make the copycats do this in the first yeah. place. And it would never have happened had not that myth been started over the years by and, and substantiated and given credit or given time by the press and all that sort of stuff that makes these things last for as long as they do. Yeah. There was also another um, horrible story in the year 2000. 49-year-old James Joseph Smith stuck needles into Snickers bars as a prank and gave them out to kids. Jesus. Several children bit into the candy. The only injury was to a teenager who was pricked by one of the needles but did not require medical attention. Smith was charged with adulterating a substance with intent to cause death, harm or illness. It's not a great prank. Is what it? possesses these people to think, you know what? Great day at work. Smash my targets. I'm going to go home and I'm going to put a few <laughs> razor needles into a, cherry on the a few needles into some candy yeah, for a laugh. Another uh, absolute goldmine of um, urban food legends mm. relates to. The, I'll call it a whole genre <laughs> buffeted by Brian Butterfield of course of Mystery Beat Mystery Beat um, which is this idea that like you could um, you don't know what meat is in the food you're eating at a restaurant mm. normally it's a takeaway yeah where these things um, these rumours emerge from so this was in the year 2011 um False rumours which suggest that greyhound meat is being served at a well-known Yorkshire restaurant are in danger of completely wrecking the business, as Angry Owner said yesterday. Estelle Johnson, who has run China Rose and South Parade Bawtry near Doncaster for almost three decades, spoke out after hearing several versions of a similar story. This I'm reading from the Yorkshire Post, by the way. Um, the rumour revolved around a woman diner who apparently choked on a microchip after eating a meal, which was supposedly identified later, as a chip which had been from a former racing greyhound. Oh, God. <laughs> it was alleged that police and paramedics were called to the restaurant to be, deal with the fictitious incident. So this is like... This is, it's an interesting example because it's like... 
this is a real restaurant. Yeah. In Yorkshire, where they basically had, like she's saying that... And a real customer who went there. Or... People were... Um, well, no, because it was always... It was a rumour. Oh, but then right. That's... Someone said, oh, a friend of a friend. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. It's like, yeah. obviously, rumours start. And people who had bookings at the restaurant cancelled Cancel their bookings because of a Because they thought they were going to eat, you know, dog meat. Mm. Uh, which, and obviously... So this is a Chinese restaurant. And a lot of it... These rumours are often around, like... Um, they're often around dog meat being served dog mm. meat in a Chinese restaurant, which yeah. is obviously to do with the fact that yes, you can eat um, dog meat in certain parts of the world. Which, and we'll get onto that more in another episode. Mm. Definitely the, the issue of dog meat. Yep. And if that's not a teaser to you coming back, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, there it's like. Racist. Yeah, to it's say, racist. It's always an ethnic restaurant that might be serving... To accuse a restaurant of surreptitiously serving, serving meat, dog, which yeah. is illegal in this country, yeah. um, to people without them knowing it. Well, I have uh, an article in front of me from the uh, arch dog whistler of dog whistlers, the Daily Mail, yes. about uh, has dog meat Paragon been found... <laughs> has dog meat been found in my lamb curry? Again, it's a similar situation. Uh, they tested... Six curries from London outlets and found that uh, none of them contained dog. So yeah. it was a, a, a salacious headline, but actually uh, it, it seems unlikely you're being served yeah. dog in a, in a London takeaway. But didn't they... Um, this... Oh, I'm also on a Daily Mail website. The headline is, has dog meat been found on our food? Mm. Dog in capital letters, mm. as they love to do on the Daily Mail. Yeah. Um, new takeaway horror after experts discover, quote, mystery meat and lamb curry. And what it turns out is that basically they, this was from actually, it says a, a documentary sent samples of kebabs and curries from, and the meat and a b- beef and a black bean sauce dish turned out to contain highlights of a chicken. So they tested all these dishes. Mm. Some of them contained different meats from what it was probably just like trace amounts. Yeah, I guess exactly. Um, but then there was one where they tested it they couldn't figure out what meat it was. And so this programme, and then subsequently the Daily Mail, has extrapolated that it must have been dog meat. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know what this is, so um, it has to be dog. Based on absolutely nothing. Um, so, yeah, it did contain meat. It was not lamb, pork, chicken or beef. Not horse, not goat either. Well, I mean... Turkey? Could have been turkey. I haven't listened to turkey. Goose? Um, yeah, come on. There's loads of meats. <laughs> yeah. There's loads of meats, guys. There's loads of meats that are fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the mystery meat thing. I mean, we all remember, again, we'll get onto the thing of horse meat um, in another episode because we're going to do an episode mm. about food taboos. Mm. And horse is an interesting one because, you know, they eat horse in France. Yeah. But here, but here it's, it's a, disgusting. disgusting. And there was obviously the horse meat scandal in... Findus. Um, Lasagna. Coldland. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my former employer. Your so former employer. Far be it from me to... Uh, slander them mm. um, and we should really should add this, these were only rumours <laughs> <laughs> no there weren't rumours it was fact there oh, was, was horse meat okay. in Findus lasagna sold in Coldland okay. and other grocers okay um, we'll pass this by the legal team aka us <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, but that's a real example of mystery meat because a lot of because it, often mystery it meat sold is something else and it was, mystery meat is conjecture and rumour and and uh, race baiting by the Daily Mail but this was an actual example of a uh, lasagna created by uh, you know 
I guess an English company, Findus, um, yeah. that was full of a mystery meat and. Yeah, that's. But was it horse or they never? It was, I, think, it was? I, I think it was horse in the end. Yeah, so yeah. I think it was the beef lasagna was all was mostly horse. Right. Um, and so maybe it's not the Chinese and the Indian restaurants need to be watching for it's the, the Findus and the British supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have another gold? Yes, market? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Come on. How it looks. Shake, shake for the flavor. <laughs> the sediments. <laughs> Um, now, speaking of malicious, pernicious food rumours, mm. uh, friend of the show, your friend of it, mine, McDonald's. McDonald's. Now, McDonald's, as a brand, have gone for a lot of a lot of heat over the years. Let's say they, um, that you know, they're a punching bag. I would say yeah, they're um, a scapegoat. <laughs> scapegoat. Lots of people like to. Have a go at McDonald's. See them as an easy target. Um, yeah, they're always picking on the little guy. Like they always pick on the little guy, and and there's so many urban legends about McDonald's when it comes to food um, and other things. But we'll stick to food. Um, yeah, for the for the sake of this podcast, um, one that I certainly remember from when I was younger was that um, the milkshakes and the ice creams were made out of pork fat. So if you recall that one, I don't. Um, but the thing is, that doesn't. I mean, obviously, you don't want your primary fat in an ice cream or a milkshake to be animal. No, like, you want it to be dairy. You want it to be dairy. <laughs> yeah. But like, if they found trace amounts of that in a milkshake, wouldn't I wouldn't care no, much? No, because in like a weird mass produced. No. But sorry, go on. Well, no, I mean that was just that particular one was. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was younger, it was definitely a, a round that people were. There was pig fat in the. In the ice, in the cold serves, right. ice cream and the uh, the milkshakes. But according to McDonald's, and we have to take their words for this on their website. There's no they would not lie on their website. Porcine ingredients <laughs> in the in the in their milkshakes and their McFlurries. So I'm about to see why, because surely, like, it's hard to imagine that an animal product like that would be a cost cutting exercise. Well, exactly. But yeah, you'd want you'd you'd want more synthetic stuff. Which I'm yeah. sure there is. It tastes delicious, but like it's certainly putting. But also, what's the problem? Unless they're saying like this is suitable for vegetarians, and it's not. No, but well, pesto yeah. beef gravy is suitable for vegetarians. <laughs> so what's the real conspiracy? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the yeah? What's the myth there? Yeah. The myth is it contains beef, which it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Another okay. one which is dating back all the way to 1978, so has some legs or not, is the <laughs> <laughs> um, McDonald's. The uh, restaurants use earthworms in their yeah hamburgers yeah um, and I think that w- is a there's a whole strange connection here um, to the fact that some Wendy's advertising at the time obviously Wendy's is not McDonald's no had featured a worm in the uh, advertising and people right. took it to. The worm is in Wendy's, and then people who were in places where there weren't Wendy's or whatever were like, well, actually, the worm's in McDonald's. They're grinding up worms to make the burgers. They asked for that one. There's no way they can make a... Well, McDonald's didn't ask for it. Wendy's. Wendy's asked <laughs> Wendy's for it. Yeah. it. And where are they now? Certainly not in the UK. Good point. like a worm. like a worm. Another one which I really like is um, 
McDonald's claims their beef, their meat in their patties is a hundred percent beef. Yeah, and the the rumor around that is that that's a, a get out clause because they're using beef eyes and beef bones yeah. and other bits of beef that aren't traditional meat and steak elements. Yeah. And they're saying that it's a hundred percent beef to get around. It's a loophole. We it's love a loophole. loophole it's a loophole. Yeah, we love a loophole. We absolutely love we a loophole. Um, um, should, we, should we say? I mean, have these things been? Is that been mm. studied? What's, what's been? Well. Uh, I believe that according to, uh, obviously this is in the US, um, the USDA doesn't define eyeballs and bones as being beef. It has to be oh, right, okay. meat. So meat yeah. <laughs> it has to be meat. So there's, there's that one. But then there was another great rumour, which was that McDonald's was buying all its meat from any certain area from a company called 100% Beef. So they could mm. say, oh, our beef is 100% beef. But yeah. it could be earthworms, it could be eyeballs. I respect it. And all they're doing is just buying from a company with that name. That's yeah, the, yeah that's the rumour. It's like all our hundreds are all our products are one hundred percent beef. Registered trademark. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know what? again, it's skillful they're it's, finessing the technicalities. Yeah. And and I respect if any of these rumors were true, that is which they're obviously not. Which they're obviously not, because McDonald's is a paragon of virtue, friend of the podcast. And we're holding out for a sponsorship. And we're holding out for a sponsorship <laughs> from McDonald's. Um, um, yeah. But I mean, you know, people dunk on McDonald's. And I was thinking, who's your audience when you're saying, like, oh, McDonald's is, McDonald's is bad quality? But it's like, yeah. Yeah. That's the point. It tastes delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These people. Bloody killjoys, honestly. Yeah. One, another one that's quite interesting is the, the whole pink slime thing. If you remember yes, that, pink slime rings a bell. Remember that thing, but there was YouTube videos going around at the time of, of ground up or the bits of animals that weren't used for sort of primary meat purposes ground up into a pink ooze called pink slime. Um, and they were saying that McDonald's made their chicken nuggets out of this not appetizing stuff. But then McDonald's right. actually did put out a video showing how they made their chicken nuggets, which lo and behold was by killing chickens and using the breast meat to make chicken nuggets. Yeah. But actually, maybe the bigger mystery is who is actually using big slime, uh, pink slime. So that you reckon it's it, going somewhere. It is a food product that is being used oh, it definitely by exists, people. It, it definitely exists. It's a thing, but we don't really know which brands or right. foodstuffs are using it. But I imagine quite a lot of it's going towards non-human food, for example, dog yeah. food and stuff like that. But, but that ends badly with the old... Mad cow disease, for example. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Not a myth. Not a myth. Probably the most uh, outlandish of all the McDonald's urban legends, Mm. which, again, hasten to add, it's completely untrue, obviously. It's completely untrue. Please don't sue us. We actually love McDonald's. We tremble before your (laughs) Your mighty lawyers. We can't afford lawyers. Um, We're more doing this to showcase the mentals on the internet. Yes. Around March to April 2000, an internet rumour spread by email in Brazil claimed that McDonald's meat was actually made from a genetically modified animal <laughs> maintained in a laboratory, attributing to the findings to Michigan State University. <laughs> the email stated that creatures were kept... That's the best bit. <laughs> it's like an actual kept. research institute. I should also say, for in the interest of disclosure, that uh, I'm reading this from friend of the show, Wikipedia. <laughs> The email stated that creatures were kept, creatures kept who were figures without legs and without horns, 
It's a very biblical way of describing mm. a figure. Probably almost as if an insanely religious person wrote this. <laughs> I'm trying to picture... Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, no legs, a, no horns. No horns. So to be honest, I wasn't... It's body, w- it's body and head. Yeah. It's but torso would, and head. I would never... It, it's the fact that they felt they had to clarify no horns. Mm, but that's when you know they're I'm picturing Jesus. a made-up animal, yeah. I'm not picturing horns. No. That's the last thing on my list that I'm yeah. picturing. I'm picturing legs, head, body, tail. If you're tail. Like, of a mind to imagine yeah. a satanic beast. Then. Yeah, you... Yeah. You're, you're picturing You've been to Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> the emails say that the creatures kept with figures without legs and without horns, which are fed through tubes connected to the stomach, and which, in fact, have no bones. They are little cartilage that never develops. And anyone who has seen them assures them that they are very unpleasant things. It's very biblical, isn't it's it? Very, it's very, uh, like, very Leviticus. Uh, Lovecraft as well. Yeah, very Lovecraftian. <laughs> yeah. Because in addition to remaining immobile all their life, and they put, and this is a lovely touch, they put life in mm. quotation marks. <laughs> they have no eyes, no tail, and practically no fur. In fact, the head is the size of a tennis ball. So it's a puny head, a massive body full of meat. That... Um, I know what you're thinking. The answer is no, it doesn't have any horns. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, they have a little cartilage, but it never develops. Mm. Must, Where is the cartilage... Out. Doesn't specify. With it, okay. <laughs> uh, the email carries on saying that some irreversible health damage can be done by eating this meat. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Resulting in diseases who manifest themselves, giving some agency to these diseases, mm. human diseases. Some irreversible health damage can be done by eating this meat. Resulting in diseases who manifest themselves in a way similar to AIDS. And have symptoms related to Alzheimer's disease. So you can get Alzheimer's AIDS, Alzheimer's AIDS. from eating McDonald's, meat. but no one ever this has got this from McDonald's. Supposed mutant laboratory meat back in the year 2000. Well, let me yeah. tell you, we were both eating McDonald's, McDonald's in the year 2000. then and since. And we turned out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it ends encouraging the readers to, <laughs> to boycott McDonald's until it sells actual beef. The urban legend has also been attributed, and this is crucial to add for legal reasons, mm. to other fast food chains. Yeah. And animal products such as KFC and mutant chickens, <laughs> which is pure partridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, 64 high chickens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the story. It's a great story. Will it, even if it was true, which it's not, mm. wouldn't put me off going to McDonald's. Absolutely not, because the. Even if it was true, the taste would still be the same, which I like. I like that taste. Maybe this person in 2000, obviously that was a long time ago now, and now we're in 2023. Yeah. What do you think they would think of the emerging world of lab-grown meat? Interesting. Mm. And I think it probably depends on their particular how many horns it's got religious beliefs, <laughs> which they probably have some lab grown meat is so interesting because we've talked about this before mm. but like i'd love i genuinely would be interested to find out like what are the um positions in terms of people in judaism what are they what will they think about whether lab grown meat is kosher does it have cloven hooves people in islam would it does be it chew the cud yeah. exactly um because obviously, you have to sit. They have, they'll have to sit down and decide. When they yeah. Like I mean, because those traditional. Again, we're, we're going to do a, a different episode about um, 
food abominations, mm. food taboos, <laughs> and how they come about because it's an absolutely fascinating subject. But um, those traditional things, like you say, the criteria in, in the um, the Old Testament and stuff in the Torah are like the nature of the animal, yeah, cloven hoof, yeah. shellfish, and all those sorts of things. So when you're taking their cells and you're creating it in a Petri dish, mm. they, obviously they, that wasn't the thing that they were even imagining, let alone considering no. back, back in those days. So that's really interesting. Mm. But that's probably one for another, another, for another day. Um, something that could be for this week, uh, considering we're talking about horrible urban legends connected to um, fast food places, mainly... And apologies to our non-existent American listeners, <laughs> but uh, American things. But they seem to just attract these things. Seem to emerge in America. Somewhere. America's a big place. America's a big place. It's also a mythical insane place. place. There's a lot going um, on. And in fact, we'll be doing the first Hungry Ghosts on location trip to America soon. Mm, yes, wherein we will probably record some stuff there. Um, but in the meantime, yeah. Um, unfortunate happenings in American fast food restaurants, specifically in relation to finding body parts in food. Now, um, I've got, yeah, this is an NPR article by Elise Mm. Wu uh, in 2012. A Michigan teen says he got more, a taste of more than just roast beef when he bit into his RV sandwich last week. He was nearly finished with his meal and he tasted something chewy, an employee's finger. Ooh. How does he know it was an employee's finger not not someone else's finger? The Jackson Citizen Patriot reports, I was about to puke. It was just nasty. The piece appeared to be the back of a finger, including the pad and extending beyond the first knuckle. Uh, Ooh. Seems unlikely that a teenager would have put it in those words. Yeah. um, Upon learning of the isolated and unfortunate accident, there was the franchisee's restaurant team stopped food production and thoroughly cleaned and sanitized the restaurant. Spokesman John Gray wrote in a statement, which is funny because it's like that's not the problem, is it? The no, pro- the problem is not the general hygiene. The restaurant. It's like, <laughs> the sorry, that that an employee's just, finger has fallen into it. <laughs> you've not only found that you've actually bitten down on a employee's fi- severed finger. Yeah, <laughs> the good news is we have cleaned the floor, <laughs> sanitized, the, sanitized the, the, the walls, but I don't. Where was the employee in all of this? Yeah, I he's know. lost. A, he's lost at least to the first knuckle of his finger. And there's an example. Is he not screaming in the background, crying? You know, as you would. No. Is he, was he sent home? This guy's fate unknown. Okay. As far as we're concerned, <laughs> but later on in this same article, there's a really interesting uh, example of that. Right. So there's. Um, Another one with, I'm sorry to say, another Arby's incident. Mm. We don't have Arby's here, no. but I think it's like a sandwich place. Yeah, I guess so. Um, much like our Michigan teen, an Ohio man said he realised something wasn't right when he bit into his Arby's sandwich in 2004. The AP reported that David Scheiding found a piece of flesh about three-fourths of an inch long. When the health investigators spoke with the manager, they saw a bandage on the manager's thumb. Turns out he'd sliced his skin, his thumb skin, uh, by shredding lettuce, but didn't throw away the bin of lettuce. Well, that one I can understand that you know, there's a connection from eating the sandwich right back to the point of contamination, which we didn't have in the first article. 
No, exactly. Yeah. True. There's a bit more background. Yeah. Uh, the Wendy's Philly Chingus. <laughs> the Wendy's Finger Chili Scan. A Las Vegas woman told police she found a human finger in her Wendy's chili. It turned out she planted it there. The severed finger actually came from a human appendage, came from her husband. Hang on. This sentence says, the severed actually came from human appendage, came from her husband. The severed human appendage actually came from her husband, who got it from a co-worker after it was lost in an industrial accident. Um, the New York Times reported the woman, Anna Ayala, and her husband were both convicted on felony theft charges and sentenced to lengthy prisons. So I don't know whether the felony theft there is that uh, she stole... Well, she, her and her husband stole someone's finger after it had been severed, which is an odd thing to do. But yeah. it probably would constitute a felony theft because if you lost the finger, you want it back. Mm. I don't know. But then they did, they planted in food, which is even more insane. If it was to steal... Anyway, but, but the PR incident, I don't know what happened with the, like, presumably they sued them because we're in America here. But yeah. the resulting PR incident cost Wendy's 25 million. $2.5 million in sales losses. But then this, which is it's a kind of a similar vibe, it's insane story, right? Right on the heels of the Wendy's Chili News in 2005, the AP reported that Clarence Stowers found a finger in his custard at Cole's Frozen Custard in Wilmington, North Carolina. Ooh. But not before eating all the ice cream off the finger first. Well, that's, no, that's just classic, isn't it? It's like <clears throat> sending your food back when it's three quarters done because mm. you didn't like it. It's like, well... And the, the bloody-mindedness, the pig-headedness to do mm. it when the offending thing that you don't like is a human finger mm. is something I just can only yeah. respect. Fair enough, if you send it back in the first spoonful, you know, first mouthful, I get that if you don't like it. But if you've eaten... He probably enjoyed the taste of human thumb. Um, I would say. No, yeah, this isn't <laughs> the insane thing that I was thinking about, right? It turns out a worker had lost part of his finger in the custard machine and Stowers was unfortunate enough to find it. So it was a mistake. Oh, okay, it was a mistake. Right at the bottom, to be fair. Later, Stowers kept the finger for evidence <laughs> for so long that it became too late for the employee to get his finger reattached. <laughs> oh, that is very American. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just the fact that this woman found a human finger in her Wendy's chili. Turns out she plants it there, but it was from... Her husband's co-worker had an industrial accident. Right, so imagine you're at work. You have an industrial mm. accident, a tragic accident. You lose a finger. Yeah. And then that's bad enough. Mm. But then you have the presence of mind to go, I'm going to keep it. All right, fair enough. People might want to keep an appendage if it gets cut off. Maybe you might want to have it reattached. Or yeah. But the idea that you would keep it and then give it to a co-worker, and then he'd give it to his wife, <laughs> and then she'd go to Wendy's and put it in a chili, <laughs> and say, and try and sue Wendy's for having a finger in a chili. That is mental. The mind boggles. The mind really does. The mind boggles. boggles. But they were they were convicted on felony grand theft charges and sentenced to lengthy prison terms. Well, good riddance. Um. They pleaded guilty and the man was sentenced to 12 years and four months. And the lady was sentenced to nine years. 
and they had to pay Wendy's $21 million in conversation. Oh, God. All this uh, appendage stuff reminds me of the Sourtoe cocktail. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, it's in Canada or Alaska. It's in Yukon. Yeah, so Canada. Yeah, where uh, someone, a man, lost a toe uh, that was frostbitten, and he preserves it in a jar of alcohol for the memories. Yeah. So he says. But then 50 years later, a local... uh, captain who owned a bar discovered it in the jar of alcohol and took it down to the saloon that he he operated and started putting it into the drinks of those who were brave enough as a dare basically and just as a sort of you know my toe is bigger than your toe (laughs) type (laughs) the toe swinging exercise uh, I believe the original toe actually uh, disintegrated over time, but then since then, seven more toes. There must be a lot of frostbite in the Yukon, yeah. but there's that many toes knocking around. You've got a steady supply of loose toes. Yeah, um, but seven more toes have been donated to the bar to be wow. popped into the cocktails of people who are brave enough or uh, manly enough or whatever who want to experience drinking a cocktail with a garnish of a human toe it's interesting so what do we know how long the original toe was in the seven years seven the original years, toe i mean i don't know it's an interesting one isn't it because obviously it'd have no qualms with just drinking a cocktail or a drink that someone just dunked their finger in or even held it in there for a while yeah it's not ideal well, i guess but this is ex- probably exceptionally salty preserved in salt and alcohol yeah. over the years and it does, I mean... There's a, there's a little rhyme that goes with it as well. You can drink it fast, you can drink it slow, but the lips have got to touch the touch toe. The toe. Again, it's not the lips touching the toe <laughs> isn't the problem for me. But it's like the... Something being in a drink mm. for so long. Mm. So they, they take out the toe and just put it in the cocktail and then they make the drink, yeah? Or do they... Does it steep? No, so yeah, the, the toe is sitting... It, Depending on the toe, some have been kept in salt, some have been kept in brine, some have been kept in alcohol. Um, but they keep it in there, they make the drink, yeah. you know, a whiskey sour. Okay. And then they fish the toe out, pop that, you know, next to the, yeah, yeah, the edge yeah. of the glass. And then you drink it with the toe in there. And you drink it with the glass. That's fine, I'll yeah. do that. Yeah, I'll do it. Because the only thing that I would have a problem with is if it was like... If the toe was in the drink, like it was a bottle of wine or whiskey or something. Right, like, yeah, like scorpion wine and... Exactly. Southeast Asia. Because I feel like... So, we've had tarantula wine in Mm. Cambodia before, for example, where you... We saw the vat of... of, It was in someone's house. Mm. The vat of um, wine that the tarantulas were in. It was like, you could see that you know, there were Matter threads. Was threads were emanating, emanating from the from tarantulas them. into the wine, yeah, into the rice wine. Um, which and if you yeah, that in itself doesn't bother me at all. But if you're having toe vodka, but when you're talking about human matter, yeah, that does kind of tend to verge on cannibalism a little. Yeah, bit. I agree. but yeah. I'll say when they just put it in the drink at the end as a garnish, it's a garnish. Yeah, and also it's it's not that. Don't get me wrong. It's like probably like a dead guy's toe, mm. but. Even if your mouth does touch it, I think it's not the same as it's steeping in there. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. 
uh, on that note, I think we should probably wrap it up. Uh, yeah, see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>